scripture reading for today comes from the book of Haggai, perhaps an underread book of the Bible, maybe your first time today hearing something from this particular book. Uh, but it is this minor prophet who spoke on behalf of God to God's people. So let us hear the scripture text from Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place, I will grant shalom, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you know that in the Middle Ages, people would try to steal communion bread? If you've spent time in a high church denomination, Episcopalian or Catholic, you might have had the priest at one point Put the, fing- put the bread on their fingers and stick their fingers on your tongue. Just stick their fingers right in your mouth and set the piece of bread in your mouth. So this is why back in the Middle Ages, people would steal the communion bread. Well, not steal, they'd actually pocket it. The priest would bless it and everyone would come forward to take it, the bread and the juice, and people would try to hide it under the robe or slip it in the sleeve of their clothes because they believed the communion bread was magic. And because of this stealing problem, they moved from taking your own piece of bread to the priest putting it in your mouth. You see, the priest would bless it, hold it up, pray the Holy Spirit into the bread and the juice, and then say things about how God's presence would be in the bread, how it would bring healing and power and wisdom. So if the presence of God brings healing and the communion bread has the Holy Spirit in it, then that means if you feed the communion bread to your sick cow or disobedient child, it will bring the Spirit right into them, too. Or maybe you save it for when you really need some God power right before a big interview or that rivalry sporting event. (laughs) Alabama clearly did not take the communion bread. (laughs) You see, in the Middle Ages, they thought it was magic. 
which is how the Latin words for this is my body, hoc est enim corpus meum, if you don't know Latin, gets a little twisted throughout the ages, gets mixed up, and hoc est enim corpus meum becomes hocus pocus, magic words. We don't really think communion is magic so much anymore. We don't think that just eating the communion bread will do something incredibly special and with good reason. The Bible says that if we share one bread and one cup that we will be made one, but we have very clearly seen a bunch of churches that share the same bread and one communion cup splinter right into pieces, break down the middle. The bread did not hold them together. It says that God's Spirit brings healing. But I doubt in the Middle Ages many of those cows experienced miraculous healing. We don't have a rush to the communion table when people are sick. The cross-country team doesn't ask for a loaf before they run its date. We don't believe it's magic. The difference between magic and what we believe God does is that God gets to choose. You can't hold some bread and say the right words, hocus pocus, and now God has to do this or that. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes God does bind people together by the power of the Spirit, but he doesn't need bread or juice to do that. The bread isn't magic. And God doesn't need us to say certain special words to work through communion. The words aren't magic. And God doesn't need us to be in this building to hear our worship. The building isn't magic. God gets to choose. God chooses whether to work through the bread or in a different way, whether to show up while we're gathered in this building or while we're out in the world. God gets to choose. None of this is magic. Hocus pocus didn't make the bread magic bread. So the communion bread doesn't matter in the same way that it used to. We don't eat every last piece of it because we believe that it's Jesus' body and we can't throw Jesus away. You don't come to buy a mini loaf before a big interview. The cross-country team hasn't asked us for a loaf before state, and neither have any football or swim teams. It's the same that church buildings don't matter in the same way they used to. Convert an old mall or a community center, throw in some rows of chairs, stand for a preacher to use their iPad, and you're good to go. You don't need the stained glass windows or the pews or even a cross. None of it is magic. God can work Without it, none of it is magic. You can talk to God whenever, wherever, and God can show up whenever, wherever, but. But it's easy to learn the wrong lesson from the magic communion bread. People used to think it was magic and that was crazy, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. One time back in seminary, it was after Brian and I were dating, and something happened. He was having a terrible day, a horrible day. And we all have different ways of dealing with bad days. And I like to group these responses as different animals. Some people handle their horrible days like a dog, specifically like a kicked dog, walking around whining and whimpering and begging, pet me, hug me, hold me, having a terrible day. 
Some people handle it more like a tiger. I'm injured, so I will protect myself. Anything coming at me, I'm going to slice it into a thousand pieces. That's me. (laughs) Some people, and my husband will tell you he is one of them, some people handle it more like a turtle. Pull your head and your legs into the shell, wait it out, and hope tomorrow is a better day. You can imagine how the tiger and the turtle get along. (laughs) So he pulls back on this terrible day, and I'm talking with him on the phone, checking in, and he says, in somewhat of an Eeyore voice, I'm okay, really, I'm fine. And I say, oh, you must have lost your tail today. And he says, no, really, I'm fine. And I say, well, can I come and at least sit with you and figure out, you know, how I can just be around you? And he says, yeah, that'd be fine. And at that moment, his phone died. The connection is lost. See, I want to be with him and I want to help him, so I put on my Sherlock Holmes hat because I like detective games. His car was parked at the school, so he had walked to wherever he was. He could be anywhere in the greater Princeton area, which is a lot of space. The entire seminary campus, library, cafeteria, academic building, and the entire university campus and their nine public libraries. And if there is something that my husband loves, it is libraries. There's all the stores in addition to that downtown on the square, and so it would take all day to search for him and figure out where he is. Except, I know my husband. And when he's in his turtle mood, there are three places he goes. The first floor of one of the university libraries, the bookstore downtown, and the less popular coffee shop by the parking garage, which is how just 30 minutes later I walked up to his table and sat down. He thought it was incredible. So incredible it jolted him right out of his shell, back to having a good day. He was amazed. How had I found him? It felt like magic. But it wasn't magic. I knew the places he hung out. God is like that. God could show up anywhere. I mean, God really can show up in your morning coffee or a conversation with a stranger or when you miss a traffic light. God could show up anytime, anywhere. But it would take you a lifetime to figure out where God is hiding. And he might just be hiding behind the forgotten bag of flour in the back of the pantry. And how would you ever find him there? Except, There are places God tends to hang out. Places God has told us especially that He is. The bread isn't magic, but God tells us He will show up in the bread. And the juice isn't magic, but God says He will show up in the juice. He tells us He will be in the bread and the cup. And He tells His people again and again and again all throughout Scripture that He will show up at His temple. His temple. His house. Which is what is behind this passage in Haggai. The people of God are returning from exile. The temple had been destroyed brick by brick until nothing was left. The whole city of Jerusalem left in destruction. So as the people returned from being prisoners in exile in another country, first they rebuilt their own homes, which makes sense. 
But then they started rebuilding their lives, too. Planting the fields, getting jobs, decorating the home, hosting parties, getting back into the extracurriculars, the kids back in sports. We know how life goes. And as it goes, the more you're doing, it feels like the more is left to do. The fundraisers and the travel time and the civic club, a drought rolls in and you spend a month just trying to keep the cows alive until some time has passed. Life was up and running, everything was going, except the temple was still untouched. It was not yet rebuilt. God had asked them, he had asked his people, rebuild my temple. But they didn't. They were busy doing everything else. Which wouldn't matter. The temple isn't magic. God doesn't need the temple to show up. God could show up at a field or the house or the extracurriculars. It wouldn't matter, except that God told them he would show up at the temple. That's where God would be waiting for them. It's God's act of agency, and he wants reciprocation from us, effort from us. He could show up wherever we have 30 seconds and nothing to do, answer the prayer in carpool line or at a stoplight or when the internet fails and Netflix isn't working. He could. But God wants our relationship to be mutual. He wants us to be faithful, to look where he tells us to look, to rebuild the temple. It's where God says he will show up. But God's people were busy with their own stuff. They were rebuilding their lives, but not God's temple. So God warned them. He warned them and says this, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Planted much, but harvested little. Does your schedule ever feel like that? Busier and busier, but some weeks you wonder what you have to show for it. Eat, but never have enough. Drink, but never have your fill. The things we use to fill our stomachs and our lives, they don't last. It's not enough. You get this and should have got that. Fix this and something else breaks. Put on clothes, but are not warm. We could add to the list, you have friends, but still feel lonely. The internet, but still feel bored. A car, but still feel stuck. God's list ends with you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It can feel that way, can't it? Have kids, it definitely feels that way. Our bank account has a hole in it, and by the time we get to the end of the month, there's nothing left. We trust that God will simply understand. To understand, we ran out of time and energy and ideas and funds, and we know that the bread isn't magic and the church isn't magic, so we trust God to show up wherever we are. Well, the people of God got tired of rebuilding their own lives and still feeling empty, so they finally carved out time to rebuild God's temple, cut back here and there, tighten their belts, and they built it. Because they knew you can have the whole world and not have God. 
And no matter what you have, it's never enough. So they started looking for God in all the places God promised to show up. They dusted off Grandma's Bible from the top shelf and cracked it open, got on their knees and prayed, looking for God in all the old places, and they started rebuilding the temple. Brick by brick, hung the doors. Using what they could find, they started tapestries. A carpenter down the street began to build the altar. And it all came together. But then something happened. You see, the people that were building this new temple remembered the old one. The old one which had taken decades to build master brick masons and craftsmen paid by the king, artists painting tapestries, doors tall enough for an elephant and plated in gold. They had that image of the old temple in their head, and as the new temple went up with the carpenter down the street doing the woodwork and the old ladies putting together the tapestries, they became discouraged. This isn't anything like what it used to be. It used to be different. It used to be better, taller, bigger, more beautiful, better preaching, pews filled with people. It just used to be different. And now when they looked at the new temple with its crooked door and the mismatched bricks, they wondered, what can possibly happen here? Will God really show up for this? Will God really shake the heavens and the earth like he used to? Really bring fire from heaven and set our hearts ablaze? Will he really? You see, we feel that way too. Dusting off grandma's Bible, getting on our knees to pray, looking for God in all the old places. But the Bible feels more confusing than enlightening. The words of our prayers are clunky. We show up for church, but we can't read the music for the hymn, and we don't feel the prayer, and we wonder, will God really show up here? With our mismatched bricks and our crooked door. Yes, he will. Because God has told his people that he will show up at his house. Haggai tells the people of God that even in this temple, this less ornate and less expensive temple in this place, God would grant his people shalom, wholeness, peace. Shalom, the very thing the Israelites had been searching for in exile, the thing they tried to gain by building their own houses and town, it's what we're chasing too, with planting and harvesting and the wages and the friends with the vacations and the extracurriculars, the eating and the drinking. We're chasing those moments where the world feels right, where it's whole. Shalom, something you feel all the way down. My family recently had an evening a couple weeks ago. We were celebrating our one year together as a family, Brian, myself, and our adopted eight-year-old. And the first day Brian and I met Sophia, all three of us were understandably terrified. We laughed, we cried, ate a meal together, and collapsed in bed at 6.30, emotionally drained. We watched a movie together and fell asleep three across with Sophia in the middle. 
So a couple weeks ago, we were celebrating one year, and we all got into our pajamas and climbed into bed three across with Sophia in the middle. Woodrow jumped in and laid on top of her. We watched a movie with popcorn and fell asleep together. That night, life was complete. It was whole. The world might have been falling apart outside, but there with the four of us, there was a peace a wholeness that went all the way down. Shalom. You know that shalom. That all the way down certainty. God can provide it at a pajama party or on the ball field or on a long drive through the country. God can and God does. But what we know from Scripture is that if we are searching, craving shalom, go to God's temple. Go to God's temple. It can be a storefront or an old church full of history. It doesn't matter as long as God's people gather there. And there, in the temple, in the ordinary bread and the ordinary juice, in ordinary people and ordinary words, God promises his shalom. God can meet us where we are, at a pajama party or in carpool line, but God also wants us to show up where he is waiting for us, here at his temple, here at his house. There is no hocus-pocus. The stained glass isn't magic. The bread is just bread and the juice is just juice, except, except that God has promised to be waiting here for us, waiting with the peace we so frantically search for everywhere else in our lives, So come, come to God's temple, come, and we will find peace. Let us pray. Lord, we so desire the peace that you promise us. Lord, we so desire that feeling of wholeness. So we come week after week and we gather here as your people. We come because you said that you would promise to be here. You said you promise to fill us with more mercy and goodness and faithfulness when we gather here in your house. So today we come seeking your heart and seeking your peace. In your holy name we pray. Amen.